Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, March 9th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next probably hour and a half or so as we go over all kinds of things in the world of sports from a betting focus. Happy to have you with me here as we spring forward into a new week of conference tournaments. 19 conference tournaments here this week. We'll try to get to as many of them as we can, not just on today's show, but on tomorrow's show and also Wednesday's show. Thursday, just the betters box, and then Friday, no show for us here coming up for this week. But obviously, things really ramping up on the college basketball side with these conference tournaments this week. And then, of course, March Madness coming up here next week. As far as today's show goes, I'll start things off with the betters box, my MLB betting podcast. We're going to talk about the National League West here during the Five and Fly segment. Then also take a look at several injury situations popping up across spring training. I'll focus some more on those on Thursday's edition of the Betters Box, where I'll talk about which spring training stats actually matter, things that you actually want to be paying attention to, and also talk some more about injuries, certain team situations, all that type of thing. Before today, we'll do the five and fly for the NL West, and I'll give you some additional injury thoughts there in spring training. Then in the second part of today's show, Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com will join me. We're going to talk as many conference tournaments as we can get to here during our handicapping the hardwood segment. I don't know how many that's going to be. We'll see how long we take on some of these conference tournaments. But I want to try to get as much out there to you as we possibly can here on the college basketball side for this week. My MLB betting guide is available over on Amazon, also in PDF form at bangthebook.com. Like I said, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, full shows. Betters box Thursday, no show Friday. Same format coming up next week with March Madness. I'll try to get the betters box out bright and early on Thursday so it doesn't interfere with watching the NCAA tournament. But of course, as we know, baseball season still a few weeks away here. So it's not like you have to listen to that right away next Thursday. But also over at the website, my conference tournament previews. I think I've got 20 of those posted now. Four more are written. I'm just waiting on odds. Got eight more left to do here to cover all 32 conference tournaments. We'll also be doing uh, some March Madness game previews for next week and throughout the tournament as well, so keep an eye out for that, as well as the usual stuff, NHL, NBA, uh, XFL, NASCAR, soccer, tennis, golf, so on and so forth, you name it, we got it, over at bangthebook.com. Once again, if you want to subscribe to the notes for the Betters Box MLB Betting Podcast segments, adam at bangthebook.com will get you on the list for those, and adam at bangthebook.com to get on the list for the betters box notes. And for right now, just sending Thursday and Monday together on Mondays just seems to make sense with just spring training going on. And of course, a lot of this information you can get in my 2020 MLB betting guide. All right, here we go. Five and fly segment here for the National League West. And we start with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Their season win total here, 83 and a half. And this one is on the rise right now. The juice is on the over here for the Diamondbacks. Not any higher than 83 and a half across most of the market. But this is a team that people are starting to like a little bit here as they start to lock in some of their MLB season win total bets. And look, I really, really like this team. I love the front four in the starting rotation. You've got Madison Bumgarner, obviously very familiar with the teams in the National League West division, having pitched for so long with the San Francisco Giants. You've got Robbie Ray. You've got uh, Luke Weaver, and then you've also got Zach Gallen. And for Weaver here last year, 
it looked like he was starting to break out. He was throwing more cutters, throwing more sliders, things that stay off the barrel, things that stay out of the high nitro zone areas. Then he got hurt. He was limited to, I believe it was 12 starts last year. I like what I saw. And obviously you want to take it with a grain of salt when a guy doesn't sustain it over the course of the season. But I think Luke Weaver is a high upside guy. I think Madison Bumgarner is a very reliable starting pitcher, a 200 inning guy, a guy that kind of replaces a Zach Granke type, just obviously from the left side, as opposed to the right side, Robbie Ray last year, you know, Robbie Ray is a guy that last season had the second highest swinging percentage of his career, but had the worst slider of his career using the fan graphs, pitch runs metric. So he didn't even have really his best swing and miss pitch still generated a lot of swings and misses. I think that's a guy that could end up having a career year. And in particular here, Robbie Ray, a guy that has a lot of issues with the long ball has a lot of issues with home runs. If the baseball is different this year, and that is certainly the expectation that a lot of us are currently running with, well, maybe this is a career year for Robbie Ray. So you've got Luke Weaver, maybe in line for a career year. You've got Robbie Ray, a guy that has a lot of upside here as far as I'm concerned for this season. And then you've got Zach Gallon, And I love Zach Gallon. I think Zach Gallon, if you find a futures price, 100, 150 to one or higher to win the Cy Young, I kind of like him as a little bit of a dark horse. This is a guy that's got great swing and miss stuff, great stuff to stay off the barrel, very good in terms of contact quality against. And the Diamondbacks could have the best defensive team in all of Major League Baseball this year. So I love this front four in the rotation. I'm not high on Mike Leak. Nobody's high on Mike Leak. But you've got John Duplantier, who should be up soon. Alex Young is a guy that I really liked from last year. He induced a lot of weak contact, a guy that can pitch to this really, really good defense. So there's not a ton of depth here for the Diamondbacks, but they will be developing it as the season goes along. They also picked up J.B. Bukaskis in that Zach Granke deal with the Houston Astros. That's a guy with some upside as well. So I like where this Diamondbacks team is situated in the starting rotation, and I love how good they are defensively. Now, offensively, look, I think this could be a league average lineup. I will go ahead and say that right up front. I think Cattell Marte is a guy that will regress a little bit here, but Cattell Marte last year, a launch angle disciple, started hitting the ball higher, started hitting the ball better in terms of launch angle for slugging percentage purposes. And he has an elite contact rate, only a 7.4% swinging strike percentage last year. That's very, very good. When you make quality contact, and he's in the upper half in terms of exit velocity and hard hit percentage, when you make quality contact and you make a lot of it, that's really important. So Marte is a guy that I don't think matches last season's numbers, but I do think he does have a very, very good season. They had Starling Marte now in center field. They moved Kettle Marte at back to second base here. So that improves them defensively as well. Starling Marte, a very, very good outfielder, a 20 home run caliber guy. They still have Eduardo Escobar. David Peralta is a very good hitter, at least against right-handed pitching. Christian Walker had a breakout season last year. I like the addition of Cole Calhoun. He's got a plus arm and some pretty good power. I like this Diamondbacks team a lot. Now, obviously, the concern is that last year they overachieved by a large margin, but I do think this year's team is better. I think this year's team is better equipped. And again, a team that has a cohesive vision across the organization with an analytically savvy GM like Mike Hazen, 
a guy in Tori Lavolo that was in the Indians organization, that also in the Red Sox organization. They've got that analytics buy-in across the board here. The one worry for me is the bullpen. Archie Bradley was good in the second half, bad in the first half, but I like Junior Guerra. I like Hector Rondon. I like what they're able to do from a development standpoint with some of these back-end relievers like a Yoan Lopez or a Kevin Ginkle. The Diamondbacks are an over team to me here, over 83 and a half. Played it already. The juice is getting a little bit high now, but I do like this Arizona team quite a bit in the National League West. The Colorado Rockies here, their season win total 73 and a half. And, you know, I don't really like to get invested in teams that are very top heavy because, look, they've got Nolan Arenado. They've got Trevor Story. They've got Herman Marquez. They don't have much else. John Gray is a pretty good starting pitcher as well, but they don't have a whole lot more than that. And this is a core group. If we throw Charlie Blackman in there as well, who's a very good hitter, but a horrible outfielder, they have a group that's capable of carrying them to being pretty decent. And obviously we've seen that a couple times here over the last few years for the Rockies. Now, on the other hand, Arenado and Story were terrific last year, and this was a terrible team last season. So you've got a lot of worries here about this Rockies bunch. And of course, they did nothing of consequence one way or the other this offseason, except for pissing off Nolan Arenado, which is never a good idea. 26th in weighted runs created plus last year. And again, keep in mind, you know, this is a team that based on the traditional metrics was a lot better offensively than most of the teams in the league. They were very good in batting average, high slugging percentage, of course. But again, WRC plus adjusted for park factor. And you obviously have to take into account what Coors Field means to hitting the baseball. Now, what I think WRC plus fails at is understanding the opposite of the Coors Field effect, where on the road, they're pitched differently. They see breaking balls a lot differently than they see at home. Because in the thin air, there's less resistance on the baseball. And resistance on the baseball is what creates spin. So pitches that are going to stay flat, cement mixer, hanging sliders are going to get hit a long way at home. Those pitches on the road maybe slide off the barrel or maybe become swings and misses. And that's true of fastballs, that's true of breaking balls, that's true of everything. So the Rockies, they hit well at home, and they don't hit as well on the road because it's just a different hitting atmosphere for them when they're away from home. I don't think WRC Plus and some of the other, other metrics that are out there accurately convey that sentiment. So I don't think the Rockies were a bottom five offense last year, but bottom 10, most definitely. And I don't think anything really changes for them here this season unless something happens and Arenado or Story get hurt. And that is a very real possibility. David Dahl, also a guy that hit very well last year, he's battled a ton of injuries. So there's not a lot of upside for this Rockies offense. We know Arenado is good. We know Story is good. The only things that can happen for them are negatives in the event that those guys get hurt. Now, this pitching staff, obviously, they take a beating at home, as we know. Marquez is a guy with substantial home road splits. Last year, just because of the way that things worked out for him, he was able to throw 27 and a third more innings on the road than at home. So his numbers were skewed a little bit. He probably looked a little bit better than he actually was because that's a guy that got to pitch more on the road than at home. It was the same thing in 2018. If that all of the sudden flips based on when his turn arrives in the rotation, that could be really problematic for him. So I think that's a guy 
that I look at with a little bit lower of a ceiling, depending, of course, on how his starts fall. John Gray is fine. He was a positive regression guy. He pitched pretty well last year. But beyond that, what do we get from this Rockies starting rotation? What do we get from Kyle Freeland? What do we get from these pitch-to-contact guys like Antonio Senzatella, like Jeff Hoffman, like some of the other guys that they have? They don't have a lot of upside. They don't have a lot of ceiling. They don't have a lot of guys that miss bats. And to me, that is the only thing I want out of my starting pitchers in Colorado is to miss bats, is to have a greater margin for error. And they don't have those guys. So for the Rockies here, I worry quite a bit about them. $150 million payroll, which is why they were trying to find somebody to trade with for Nolan Arenado. Is Bud Black on the hot seat? He could be. It's not his fault that this team isn't very good. The organization is very messy as well. Again, that overall lack of organizational cohesiveness is something that can really lower a ceiling for a team. I don't think the Rockies have a high ceiling. I would have to go under with them, if anything. But with a season win total here of 73 and a half, very hard to really like going under that total because, again, they will be very good offensively at home. The Los Angeles Dodgers here, their season win total 101 and a half. This is a team that could very well have the best Pythagorean win-loss record ever. Now, I don't think that they beat you know the 2001 Mariners with 116 wins or match the 98 Yankees with 114 wins, anything like that. But this is a team that probably will have very high win totals in their alternate standings metrics of Pythagorean win-loss base runs, and third-order win percentage. Look, last year, this is a Dodgers team that outscored the opposition by 273 runs, and they're better this year. They've got Mookie Betts. They've got even more pitching depth with a guy like Alex Wood now back, with a guy like Dustin May having graduated to the major leagues, with a guy like Clayton Kershaw now back in his Cy Young form. I think Walker Buehler is the guy that will win one. David Price looks really, really sharp here in spring training so far. That's a big deal for the Dodgers, who do have to replace innings from Hunjin Ryu and Kenta Maeda. If they can do that with David Price and Alex Wood and Dustin May, and some of the other guys that they have, maybe Julio Urias is a guy that does that. This is a, an elite pitching staff with an elite offense. They were the best defensive team in baseball last year by defensive runs saved. There are no flaws on this Dodgers team. There just aren't any. This is an elite baseball team, and they are deep across the board. You know, they've got Betts and Corey Bellinger, Cody Bellinger, excuse me, who are probably second and third behind Mike Trout in terms of best position players in baseball. And they're on the same damn team. Max Muncie can hit. Justin Turner can hit. Jock Peterson's a great platoon bat. Um, my God, Enrique Hernandez can hit. A.J. Pollock, probably going to be in a platoon situation with Jock Peterson. Corey Seager can play. They still have Gavin Lux. I mean, this team is loaded to the gills. I mean, they are absolutely incredible. Their pitching staff is almost as good as the lineup. And this bullpen, you know, one of the nice things, one of the luxuries of having a lot of starting pitching depth is that guys that don't make the rotation, like a Urias, like a Gon Tony Gonsolin, like a Dustin May, like a Dennis Santana. You can put those guys in the bullpen. And the reason that guys don't make it as starters is generally because they don't have a third pitch that's really good, or maybe they've got 
you know, some some iffy command, something like that. Those guys work in short bursts now. You know, they only have to throw two pitches, show that third every now and then, just have good command for an inning or two, as opposed to stretching it out over five or six innings. So this bullpen should be really good too. They pick up Blake Trainin, who I think is a bounce back candidate in his own right. Kenley Jansen will probably be a little bit better. I think Caleb Ferguson could be better. They've got guys like Adam Kalarik. This is a team without flaws, man. I mean, they're a dominant baseball team. If you look at their base runs record last year, 110 wins. They were plus 286 in run differential. By third order win percentage, they won 114 games. They were 51 and 25 against the teams in the division. I don't think any of that changes. They've got Mookie Betts now. They've got better pitching depth now. Well, why does this team get any worse? I don't think that they do. Now they've got some platoon players on the bench, like I mentioned already, and all that depth, man. And look, when you talk in the context of WRC+, again, weighted runs created plus, which is park-adjusted, league-adjusted, and it's adjusted for the run environment in Major League Baseball. Last year, the Houston Astros had a 125 WRC+. They were 25% better than league average. The all-time leader in WRC Plus is the 1927 New York Yankees. They had a 126 WRC Plus. By weighted runs created plus, I think that the Los Angeles Dodgers will be the best offense ever in the history of Major League Baseball. Ever. By WRC Plus. Again, keep in mind, they're not going to post WOBA numbers or anything like that like the 27 Yankees because... Teams only struck out, you know, 9%, 10% of the time back then. That obviously doesn't happen anymore. Teams, even your best teams, strike out 18% of the time. But I do think with WRC+, Plus, which is park, league, and run environment adjusted, I think the Dodgers could have the best offense ever in Major League Baseball. So obviously the over is the play here. And in fact, even though as a general rule, I tend to stay away from the extremes, I may end up playing this Dodgers over, especially with them staying healthy through spring training and David Price looking pretty good in the process. Let's go to the San Diego Padres here. Season win total 83 and a half. And look, if you want a strong opinion on the San Diego Padres, you're going to have to look somewhere else. I think this team could win 70. I think they could win 90. I don't know where they fall. To me, this is the single highest variance team in Major League Baseball. How do the kids do? How do the kids develop? Fernando Tatis over a full season could be elite, could be a top 10 player in Major League Baseball. What about everybody else? They add Tommy Pham, who I really, really like. Tommy Pham hits the ball violently hard. A very, very good addition for this Padres team. Last year, played with a partially torn UCL. Says he's fine now. Could be very, very good. Manny Machado, a down year last year for him. And also his contact metrics were down among the lowest in the stat cast era for him in terms of exit velocity and hard hit percentage. What about the rest of this lineup? We know Eric Hosmer is not a good hitter. We know that we could get growth from Francisco Mejia, from Franchi Cordero. Um, you know, we could get that Machado bounce back that I mentioned already. Tatis and Pham should be just fine. What about the rest of this lineup, though? I think there are a lot of questions outside of the top guys in this lineup. So I don't know 
what exactly the ceiling is offensively here for the San Diego Padres. And when you talk about a team that's got a win total in the mid-80s, you know, I mentioned the Diamondbacks could be a league average offense, but I love their pitching staff. I like them over the total. You can have one league average unit, whether it's the offense or the pitching, but the other side needs to make up for it. And I don't know where this Padres team falls. I think offensively, they could be league average. If Tatis, Pham, and Machado are all really good, and maybe they get some other contributions from some of the other guys, like a Trent Grisham, for example, who's always carried a high on base percentage at all of his stops. But I also don't know where this pitching staff falls. Now, I will say this. I'm a lot more optimistic about the pitching staff than I am about the offense because you've got a a loaded bullpen. I mean, this bullpen is the best in baseball. With Kirby Yates, Emilio Pagan, Drew Pomerantz, Matt Strom. I love this bullpen. This is the best bullpen in baseball. Maybe the Rays could be a little bit better. They're one and two, probably. One A and one B, I would say, in the lead up to the season here. What about this rotation, though? You know, everyone's going to look at Chris Paddock and say that Chris Paddock is the breakout guy, and maybe he is. The guy to me, the guy I'm going to try to bet on a lot early on in the season is Joey Lucchese. Last year, Joey Lucchese shaved more than 6% off of his home run per fly ball percentage with the biggest power surge season we've ever seen. His barrel percentage was down. His hard hit percentage was down. So his command took a big leap in a season in which a lot of guys fell off of the command train. I like Joey Lucchese a lot. He's a guy that I have circled this season as a breakout type of candidate. Now, Chris Paddock could obviously be very good. Chris Paddock needs to develop a third pitch. I'm sure that's what he worked on all offseason long. Should be very good. Good command guy. Good swing and miss guy. So they've got a lot of pieces and parts to work with here. Diddleson Lamett, a guy that misses bats, a guy that comes back now. And again, it's always important to look at guys like Lamett because last season, Lamett was rehabbing. This season, Lamett was preparing. There's a big difference between rehabbing in preparation for a season and getting ready for a season while healthy. So Lambert could be a breakout guy himself. We'll see how long Garrett Richards is able to stay healthy. He's always got very good stuff, heavy sinker, good slider. But the thing about the Padres is the future is coming quick. Mackenzie Gore, Adrian Morjan, Luis Patino, Michelle ba- or Michael Baez. They've got prospect arms with massive ceilings coming up here at some point this season. That elevates this starting staff a lot, potentially, after the All-Star break. So this is a team that could get off to a slow start and eventually wind up surpassing their expectations. They are a team I will look at at the All-Star break to see if I want to take an adjusted season win total over. Jace Tingler, the new manager, a bilingual guy, a metrics guy. Again, that cohesive vision throughout the organization. The Padres could be really good. They could also fall short of expectations. I don't know. I'd lean under with them because I'm not quite sure that they're there yet, but I have no interest in betting the Padres season win total at all here for this season. Finally, in the National League West here, the San Francisco Giants, their season win total 69 and a half, and this one is heavily juiced to the under, and this one was a bet for me. I did bet the Giants under 69 and a half here. They go from Bruce Bochy to Gabe Kapler, and this is a dramatic change. You're talking about a respected 
veteran guy in Bruce Bochy. Now you go to Gabe Kapler, a younger guy, a new school guy, a metrics guy, a fitness freak. How does this veteran-laden team respond to a guy like Gabe Kapler? I don't think it goes particularly well because you've got a lot of guys that are very set in their ways, a lot of longtime Major League Baseball veterans here on this team. I don't know if they respect Gabe Kapler. I don't know if this permeates the entire Major League roster. They're trying to go all in with analytics. They've got Farhan Zaidi, who's running things for them from the Dodgers, from an MIT, you know, Ivy League background. They're going all in with analytics. So I understand the Kapler hire. I just think that you've got a lot of round or a lot of round pegs here in this lineup and a lot of square holes. And I don't think this works. I don't think this works at all for this season. Now, that's a little bit of a narrative-based judgment on my part, but there's another method to the madness here with the Giants in that last year, they won 77 games. 38 of them were by one run. They were 38-16 and in one-run games. One of the best records in one-run games dating back over the last 30 years. So they were already, excuse me, a regression candidate. They were already a team I was looking to go against for a variety of different reasons. Now they make this Kapler hire, and look, they lost the majority of that bullpen from last year. Will Smith is gone. Mark Melanson is gone. Sam Dyson is gone. They've lost a lot of key pieces here from that bullpen. Ray Black, a hard thrower. Reyes Moranta had surgery. They lost a lot of pieces from a bullpen that was the strongest part of that roster last year. Half of their wins by one run, and now this bullpen decimated by losses, they don't hit enough. This is not a good offense. They do not hit well at home at, at Oracle Park, and they don't hit overly well on the road either. You lose Madison Bumgarner. You're trying to replace those innings with Johnny Cueto. Look, I love Johnny Cueto, and Johnny Cueto was such an underrated guy for such a long period of time, but he's like four years removed now from being a good starting pitcher. And now he's coming off of major surgery. That's a big worry here. Kevin Gossman's a guy that could pitch well at Oracle Park, but by and large, I don't like this rotation. I don't like this bullpen. I don't think there's any upside to this Giants team. This is a transitional year for them across the board because some of these older guys are going to start aging out. They're going to start losing some of these big contracts. They've signed every platoon bat under the sun in hopes of buying some prospects here at the trade deadline. There's just not enough to like about this Giants team. And again, this Kapler dynamic, I think is very, very difficult to figure out. I don't think it goes well for them. I guess it's a team that has a lot of adversity throughout the course of the season. They're also not a deep team. And furthermore, unlike some of these bad teams that are out there in Major League Baseball, they don't have a good farm system. They do not have help coming from below. They do not have reinforcements they can rely on in the second half. This is a fade team. This is a fade season under for the San Francisco Giants here. Under the 69 and a half is what I'm looking at here for the bottom feeder in the National League West. So there's the five and fly segment there coming in way under 25 minutes for the National League West here on today's show. Go back and listen to the previous iterations of the Betters Box where I talked about the AL East, AL Central, 
AL West, NL East, and NL Central in that Five and Fly segment. And like I said here, coming up on Thursday's show, I will talk about which spring training stats matter and some of the other information that I've kind of come around to here uh, in my lead-up to the Major League Baseball season. With that, we take a look at some spring training injuries to talk about here. A big one for the Houston Astros, Justin Verlander, getting some additional testing for a triceps issue. Now, Verlander is a guy that has battled a groin problem over the last couple of years. This one, allegedly, with the triceps. This is the one guy the Astros cannot afford to lose. They've already lost Garrett Cole. They're already going with some hopes and prayers in the rest of this rotation. Verlander would be an enormous loss for this team. Now, again, I think offensively they're good enough to win a lot of games. I haven't played their win total one way or another from a betting standpoint. Did play the Astros over in the Westgate season wins contest. So that's concerning because if Verlander is out for a long time, that is really dramatically going to hurt the ceiling for this Houston Astros team. Willie Calhoun, an ugly scene uh, over the weekend for the Texas Rangers, hit in the face by a fastball, broken jaw for him, fractured jaw. Uh, not good at all. You know, for those that are talking about people wanting guys to throw against or throw at the Astros, this is why that's terrifying. Because, yeah, maybe they stole signs and cheated or whatever. You don't want to see guys hit in the face with 95, 96 mile per hour fastballs. So Calhoun out for an indefinite period of time. We'll see how long this takes. Uh, the Rangers, not a team I liked anyway, a low ceiling team. But obviously, any injury for any bit of time uh, is concerning for them. We send our best to Trey Mancini of the Baltimore Orioles. An imminent non-baseball procedure. That's always very, very scary to say the least. You, know, you think about, and obviously I don't want to speculate here. You think about things like a Carlos Carrasco, like a Jamison Tyon, who had to have testicular cancer surgery a few years ago. Certainly you hope it's not something like that for Mancini. No timetable for him. Uh, the best offensive player on a bad Baltimore team. So obviously we're certainly certainly be paying attention to this one but also wishing the best there for Trey Mancini Matt Schumacher how about how good he's looked here for the Toronto Blue Jays so far a guy that you know when he's healthy has been a very very competent major league baseball pitcher the problem is Matt Schumacher has not been healthy very often we'll see if he is here this year but I'm liking this giant or this uh, Toronto Blue Jays team more and more with each passing day and if a guy like Schumacher is going to be healthy, that's a really, really big deal for them. The hits just keep coming for the New York Yankees, man. Aaron Judge with a stress fracture in his rib. I did flip to the under in the Westgate season wins pool for the Yankees based on everything that's been happening here over the last few weeks for them. When it comes to the guide, I will grade the guide against the picks at the time of publish, but just want to let you know that I'm not on the Yankees over here. And if I had to play it, as I did for the Westgate pool. At this point, I'm probably looking at the under because it's just injury after injury for them. Now you got Gary Sanchez dealing with some back issues. That's never a good thing for a catcher. I uh, can't really DH because guys like Judge and Stanton are going to do that. So the Yankees, a lot of concerning developments for them here over the course of spring training. Elbow soreness for Carlos Carrasco. Oscar Mercado also sprained his wrist for the Indians since we last talked on Thursday. Carrasco is a past Tommy John guy, had leukemia last year, as we know. Mike Clevenger already on the shelf. Very, very rough spring for the Indians, who just don't have a high margin for error, to say the least. 
Hopefully Carrasco is going to be okay. Hopefully they're erring on the side of caution here, but it has not been a good spring training for the Cleveland Indians. Finally, Andrew Miller. No feel for his pitches. They don't know what the problem is. They've done some testing. They can't seem to figure it out. It looks right now like a very sad ending for Andrew Miller, who is one of the most dominant relievers I've ever seen. Back-to-back ERAs over four. Now he doesn't have a feeling for his pitches. Uh, you know, he's a guy that you know, he'll hang around because he's a lefty with a track record, but it's it's sad to see what's happening here. And again, it just speaks to bullpens, relievers, the volatility of them, and of course, these big, high, heavy workloads that a lot of these pitchers wind up having. So hopefully a lot of good thoughts here in today's edition of the Better's Box. Adam at bangthebook.com if you want the notes for the segment. And again, no full show on Thursday, but I will have another edition of the Better's Box coming your way with that we transition over to college basketball to talk a whole lot of conference tournaments and certainly not enough time with professional handicapper kyle hunter of huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com kyle how's it going today man it's going well man um this is my time of the year as far as uh i love college basketball conference tournament week and then march madness first week uh these are the best two weeks there are for college hoops all right, couple things that we got to get out here in the open before we start going through conference by conference because this is going to save us a little bit of time. First of all, as we talked about last Friday on the segment, shop around for the best price. It is imperative that you do that. And secondly, a lot of the prices out there are pretty shitty this year compared to what they feel like they've been in past years. So money line rollovers are probably going to be your best friend. And we'll talk a little bit more about that process here after Kyle throws it back to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I think that we should uh, keep in mind here that these things are a little bit different than they were a couple of years ago. You know, you and I were talking about that a little bit beforehand, and we'll we'll try not to say too much. But there's not great prices out there. You have to be a little bit more creative than what you've been in the past. And and what we're going to try to do is uh, give you some thoughts as we look at the bracket in general, you know, how the bracket breaks down who it might favor, who it doesn't favor, um, things like that to try to get you started. Um, You know, we don't have as many odds to be able to tell you, you know, this specific price at this specific book is a great one, but uh, we'll do what we can to help out. Yeah, we definitely will. Odds are just, I mean, some places have them, some places don't. The places that have them, they're not overly good or they're not available for most people because we're looking, a lot of the New Jersey books do have some of these conference tournaments up, but Obviously, unless you live in New Jersey or you're in a state that has a points bet or a fan duel or you know, something like that, can't really access these. So we try to do as much from a broad scale standpoint as we can, which means the offshores. And, you know, I mean, look, you know, it, it's crazy to me. You know, I don't want to badmouth too many of these books, obviously, but five dimes used to be like the opener for futures prices out there in the marketplace. We'd be able to cite them. For almost every conference in previous years on these shows, doing this right now around 1230 Eastern time on Monday, and they don't have shit up. I mean, it is infuriating from a content creation standpoint, but especially from a betting standpoint to, to not see a lot of, you know, versatility and flexibility with the odds out there in the marketplace. It's like everyone's just waiting for Circa to open up and then create their numbers, adjusting the hold percentage along the way. It's very, very hard to watch here, especially because Kyle and I have done this for several years with the conference tournaments, and we've been able to talk about a lot of different things, which is why we mentioned the money line rollover. 
a lot of times, barring an injury or something else, the rematch between a team, especially if they played home and away, the line's going to be somewhere in the middle or very close to it. Moneyline rollovers are almost always going to be better than the futures price that's out there. So pay close attention to those. We'll hit on some of them as we go throughout these individual conferences. But the Moneyline rollover really is the way to go nowadays. It is. And, you know, um, I, I wish that there were better prices out there. And I wish it was as easy for us to talk about it as it was a couple of years ago. But, you know, there's still um, plenty of room for us to break down the bracket and talk about what might be a good money line rollover. Um, I think that, you know, our listeners have really liked this in past years. You know, we have been able to get out some good thoughts um, as far as, you know, putting people in, in, in a good place and things like this. Even last week, um, the Wofford money line rollover. I mean, Wofford here um, Monday night playing in the SoCon. Uh, against East Tennessee State. So Wofford did pull a couple upsets, you know, things like that, you know, where you put yourself in a position where you get to the end, you could either bet it again or bet less or just stop. Um, you know, hopefully we can find some other spots where we can uh, pick up a team that might make a nice little run. And there were some things too, you know, I posted some more conference tournament previews over at bangthebook.com here this morning. And there are some vulnerable number one seeds. There are some vulnerable number two seeds where money line rollovers with some of those higher numbered seeds do wind up making quite a bit of sense. But we'll try to expand on those as we go throughout here again. Obviously, as much as I would like to, I don't want to take up two hours of Kyle's time trying to get through all these conference tournaments here. So this will be kind of rapid fire fashion. We will cut some corners in some conferences where we can. We'll try to hit as many of these as humanly possible here. And we're going to go in alphabetical order, too, just to kind of keep things pretty easy for ourselves here. So with that, we start with the AAC, the American Athletic Conference. As I mentioned last week, this one's in Fort Worth, Texas for the first time. So an advantage to a team like Houston, an advantage to a team like SMU, who did kind of underachieve a little bit throughout the course of the season. All 12 are on hand here for this conference tournament. Over at Bet Online, which does have odds for the AAC, Houston's your favorite at two to one. Cincinnati plus two seventy-five. They're the number one seed here. Wichita State plus four hundred. Memphis four fifty. Tulsa, who is the three seed, all the way down at plus six hundred, then twelve hundred or higher on down from there. What do you think about the AAC here, Kyle? Well, I think Houston's the best team in the AAC, and I don't think it's terribly close. I, I think that Houston is a very complete team. I uh, like the way they play defense. A well-coached team a deep team. You know, if you look at uh, a lot of the other teams in this conference, I feel like they have several weaknesses or some uh, clear weaknesses. Cincinnati, um, I know they're the top seed here. Cincinnati's a team to me that I, I don't know what to make of them. You know, I think Jaron Cumberland's a good player. Um, sometimes uh, he may try to do a little bit too much. He turns it over too often. Uh, Cincinnati has been very fortunate to win some of the games that they've won here at the end of the year. That Even that Temple game, Winning 64-63 in that last game. Very fortunate to win that game. Um, I'm not as high on Cincinnati as as some people may be. I like Houston. And like you said, you know, Houston is in a good spot here as far as where this um, tournament's located. I do agree with you that the one thing that scares me a bit about Houston is they would have to play probably SMU in the second game. SMU is better than their seven seed would indicate. So, um, you know, a bit of a tricky matchup there. I think that Tulsa is a weak three seed, certainly. Tulsa played really good at home this year. 
Um, Tulsa's not going to be playing at home in this tournament, so I, I don't I don't trust them very much in this one. Um, I think Houston, uh, I see plus 225 at FanDuel, so um, I would take Houston plus 225 if I had to take something here. Uh, to me, it's hard to find an underdog that I like a lot. I, I'd probably want to decide if I you know, had much faith in Memphis to try to take them to win a couple games and, and knock off Tulsa. The problem is with Memphis, you know, um, they're very inconsistent on offense. They play hard on defense. Offensively, they turn it over a lot, and they don't shoot it very well. So um, I like Houston to win this conference tournament. I don't think there's a great value on the odds, but I do like them here. Yeah, this is a difficult one because, again, you know, you've got Houston, who's pretty good. You've got Cincinnati, who's kind of in that second tier. You know, Wichita State, very hit or miss. Memphis, same thing. Those are two teams that are very, very good on the defensive side, not particularly good on the offensive side. And what's concerning here is that with this conference tournament at Dickey's Arena, we don't know how this arena is going to play. We don't know if offense will play up. We don't know if defense will play up. So there's some inherent uncertainty there with that, which is why you start looking at this thing and you say, okay, Houston is the most balanced team of any of them here in this conference. So whether this plays for offense or plays for defense, it shouldn't impact them either way. Whereas for other teams, it could have a little bit of an impact. Now, maybe they do have a tougher draw because you've got Cincinnati, you know, playing likely the winner of that Wichita State and UConn game. UConn playing very well down the stretch. Wichita State, a good team. Uh, Houston winds up drawing probably Memphis, maybe Tulsa. You know, so you start thinking about the competitiveness level of that side of the bracket. But again, I think Houston is the best team here. This is probably a three-bid league as things currently stand. So we could see a bid stealer here, but I think ultimately Houston being the most balanced team in this conference is probably the one that I would take. And also, too, for Cincinnati here real quickly, yeah, a good regular season, but what do we get from John Brannon in the conference tournament? Because coaching matters a lot now when you're playing back-to-backs. Is he on the level of where somebody like a Mick Cronin yeah, I don't, I don't know yet. I don't think we know the answer to that. And I think that Cincinnati has had some uh, chemistry question marks this year. And I, I don't know if those have been fixed. You know, I mean, I think this is a, a number one seed that's clearly very vulnerable. They've played, like I said, very many close games. They've been able to win quite a few of them. Um, I, you know, I think Cincinnati's a, a pretty good team. Um, and their, their draw really isn't bad. So, I mean, if you like Cincinnati a lot as a team, you probably like them in this tournament. Um, I just I, I think there's a lot of unknowns with Cincinnati that I'd rather stay away from. I think if we look at the bottom of the bracket again, um, the Tul- Tulsa is the three seed. I was just kind of looking at numbers here. Uh, Tulsa would definitely be an underdog against Memphis, probably Memphis minus two and a half or three points. So that tells you um, how weak Tulsa is as a, as a three seed. Well, and if you do like Tulsa, that also says take a money line rollover instead of plus 600, because if they're right. a dog in that six, three game, you know they're a dog to Houston and they're a dog to Cincinnati in the final if things play out, you know, in a chalky type of way. So that's what we're talking about here in terms of looking at the money line rollover where you get Tulsa and you say, wow, you know, the, the three seed is the fifth favorite at plus 600, but a money line rollover is going to be a lot more lucrative for you if they make a run here. So that's kind of the mindset that you want to take into these conference tournaments, especially because the hold percentage for the tournament is higher than the hold percentage for an individual game, which is why a money line rollover generally tends to be a lot more profitable for you. Let's go to the A-10 here. This one 
in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. Dayton, the odds-on favorite. I'm seeing minus 330, minus 350 in that type of range for the Flyers to win this thing. Richmond, your two seed, is the third favorite. Rhode Island is the third seed. They're the second favorite. And then a big jump on from St. Louis down in the 18 to 20 to 1 range. So some big prices here for everybody outside of, of really the favorite in Dayton. Yeah, and this one's played at the Barclays Center. So uh, Barclays Center has been very neutral. Actually, just a few more overs than unders here. So this is not one of them that I would consider a bad shooting backdrop or, or um, favorable in any way to the under. So keep that in mind. Um, you know, Dayton is clearly the best team in this conference. You know, we can't say anything negative about Dayton. And I'll fully admit, to be totally honest with you, I think Dayton's probably my second favorite team in college basketball. Obviously, I'm a Buckeyes fan first. Grew up close to Dayton. So, you know, I always liked the Flyers. I went to go see quite a few Flyers games. And, you know, Dayton having the kind of year that they're having this year is, is fun. You know, they're a really fun team. Obi Toppin's a tremendous player. Um, I think that Dayton is a bit vulnerable in that, you know, they've played in a weaker league. Um, and that worries me a bit as to whether they'll get as far as what they should in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, right now they're still playing in the Atlantic 10 tournament. And this one, you know, I think it's really interesting that Dayton has to play VCU likely in the second and their first game in the quarterfinals. Um, I can't imagine they would have really wanted to have to play VCU right away and then play St. Louis probably in the second game. So, to be honest with you, I think this is about as hard of a draw as Dayton could have gotten. You know, I mean, um, I don't think they would have been very scared of playing Richmond, uh, Rhode Island. They dominated as well. So, you know, the bottom of the bracket to me, uh, Dayton would have preferred to be against those teams than what they are there at the top. Now, you know, who do you want at the bottom of the bracket going for you? Because I think you probably want to try to take one team from the bottom of the bracket and hope that they make a decent run. I would probably lean toward Davidson here. Uh, Davidson, a team that underachieved throughout the regular season, team that was supposed to be one of the top two or three, at least, teams in this conference. Uh, Davidson plays LaSalle in the first game and then gets Richmond. Um, I think Davidson could make a run here. Certainly, uh, money line rollover would probably be the way I would go with uh, taking Davidson. Yeah, and again, I mean, that's a high upside offensive team, best three-point percentage in conference play. That's That's not a bad look at all, especially if you're not – real sold on Richmond uh, or Rhode Island. And, and, you know, Rhode Island is a team that I think they have the star power relative to this conference. They just haven't necessarily maximized it particularly well. I'll tell you what, I, I kind of like St. Louis here, and I'm not sure how to play it because you've got, you know, 18 to one out there at some places. I'm seeing 25 to one at points bet on uh, nothing posted, of course, over at five times for us to compare to, but at 25 to one, I'm not exactly sure how to play this because obviously they're a big dog to Dayton if they wind up playing Dayton and they could very well lose to St. Bonaventure. That wouldn't, you know, really be uh, you know, that big of a surprise anyway. But, you know, I think that you kind of look at this and St. Louis played well against Dayton. St. Louis is a very, very good defensive team. They're about the only team in this conference that matched up well against the Flyers. There's a fat and happy element here to Dayton to where, if they win this, it's all well and good, and maybe they wind up being a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. But also, it's not a bad idea for them to get a little bit of a rest, too. And that game against VCU could take a lot out of them emotionally. I don't know, man. I, I just sort of feel like maybe St. Louis has some value. I just don't know if I just start a money line rollover with the Dayton game or if I make a pre-tournament investment. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a difficult one. I, I think that both of us agree here that um, Dayton minus 325 is not a very good value. I mean, I, first of all, neither one of us really like doing that to start with. And, you know, it's a difficult, difficult draw there. Um, I think maybe money line rollover would probably be the best way to go there with St. Louis. And uh, I'm looking at the other odds. I see St. Louis uh, 15 to one. It's um, 18 to one. So, um, yeah, points bet looks like the best price there is on St. Louis. Um, St. Louis definitely did match up well with them in that their defense really could give uh, Dayton trouble. Dayton's two point offense is so efficient because they move the ball so well. It's hard for most of these defenses to even contain them. St. Louis is one of the few teams that's been able to do that at least somewhat. So, um, you know, I, I kind of like St. Louis there some as well. Uh, like I said, I like Davidson some. Uh, I see Davidson plus 3,500, um, you know, 2,800 on uh, Bet Online, 3,500 on uh, Heritage. Uh, kind of just, uh, as, as I said to you beforehand, kind of just scrambling, looking at different uh, prices as we go here. But um, I think Davidson money line rollover would, would beat any of the prices that are available now. And I think that the, we're probably going to end up saying here that, what, about 95% of money line rollovers are going to have better value. Well, especially, too, because, you know, you take a team opposite Dayton, and, and the way that you hedge is that you just stop betting it. Right. So all you got to do is get Davidson to the final, and then you say, okay, thanks for the money. You know, thanks. go lose to Dayton yeah. by 20, you know. <laughs> so that's the nice thing about a money line rollover is that you don't have to put another investment out there to guarantee profit. You, know, you start with your initial bet. You roll over the winnings into the next bet. And then as far as you want to go with that, if you bet a future, you have to hedge it. You know, you, you can't just bet a future on Davidson at 35 to one. Then they get to Dayton and you're like, well, I'm going to take my chances and hope they win because they're probably not going to. So then you have to put more money out there to guarantee yourself a profit, which is another reason why money line rollovers are just a lot more equitable, make a whole lot more sense. Let's see what we've got here in the ACC. This conference tournament returns to the Greensboro Coliseum, which means a good home court advantage for Duke as well as North Carolina here. For this one, 14 of the 15 teams in the tournament, Georgia Tech, self-imposed ban for the postseason, so they are not in it. Florida State is the number one seed and the favorite across the market, plus 175, plus 200 in that range. Duke is the four seed here, but yet the second favorite pretty much across the board, plus 200, plus 225. Virginia is actually the two seed, but about the fourth favorite at most places. Louisville's the three seed. They're the third favorite pretty much across the market. This is tough because this conference is very, very top heavy this year. What stands out to me, 14 seed North Carolina going off at like 10 or 12 to one. Yeah, that is that is really something. Uh, 14 seed North Carolina. Just saying 14 seed North Carolina is really something. And I mean, would it really surprise anybody if they won two or three games here? I, I don't think it should be a big surprise. Um, I don't know what to do with this one. I think this is, of the ones we've talked about so far, this is the one that I like the least as far as any kind of wagering opportunities. You know, to me, Duke has not really put a high priority on winning this conference tournament in the past. Many times in the past, when they're the best team, they have not won it. You know, Duke, would you say they're the best team in the league this year? I, I mean, it's hard. You know, it's hard to say. Um, you know, they haven't been as consistently good as some of the other years. I think Duke has the top talent here. I don't want to take Florida state plus 200. Uh, that's definitely not a good enough price for me. You know, you're gonna have to play uh, Duke right away there likely unless Duke would lose to NC state. 
But, you know, you go to the bottom of the bracket, and I'm trying to figure out who I would want in the bottom of the bracket. Um, Virginia is clearly playing better. Um, their offense is just not good enough to where I really want them to try to win this tournament. Uh, Louisville, um, inconsistent team. I think Max, a really good coach. I guess if I had to invest in somebody, I would think about taking Louisville here, but I don't know. I mean, do you have any stronger thoughts than I do? I, I don't really like anything here. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of betting value on Louisville at plus 350, but no. I do like them here. I think if you're in a, a conference tournament pool or something like that, Louisville is the team I'm taking because Louisville yeah. is just so efficient offensively. I mean, they're a top 10 team in offensive efficiency, and we know Syracuse makes runs in this tournament because teams can't score against that zone. Well, Louisville plays Syracuse, and they scored very well against them in the regular season. Then they play Virginia, where you know offensive opportunities are limited, but Virginia can't score, and Louisville's very efficient offensively. I don't mind this draw. You know, as a general rule, if you go up against Syracuse and Virginia as an ACC team in this tournament, it's not good for you. I don't think it's that bad for Louisville. I think they are the best team in the bottom of this bracket, fairly clearly in my opinion. Let Florida State and Duke knock each other around. I'll take Louisville to get to the final here from the bottom. But again, at plus 350, it's it's just not a very palatable price tag. Yeah, I'm going to um, just expand on the point that you made about Louisville against his own defense. Louisville this year against man defense ranks in the 68th percentile, so a good offense against man. Uh, against zone, 94th percentile, really, really good against zone. So um, if Louisville does play against Syracuse in that game, that also might be a good spot to be able to go ahead and lay the points with Louisville because they've matched up well against that zone defense. So um, I think Louisville is the team at the bottom uh, that I like the most. And, you know, like you said, the price is not great, but I think there might be some ways that we could take Louisville here and make some money. An ATS rollover. We'll just go with that with Louisville. We'll just take an ATS rollover (laughs) over Syracuse and Virginia here. Um, And also I think Chris Mack is just, the guy's an elite coach. I mean, he's just good. And, that's another thing, too, is that you, know, you start thinking about coaching and, and the effect that that's going to have. How many times did Xavier make a conference tournament run or an NCAA tournament run? Yeah. You know, I mean, this guy is just really good on short turnarounds. And maybe he doesn't fully have the team. Let's keep in mind, he took a dumpster fire shit show of a situation last year and got Louisville in the tournament. I mean, the guy could just flat out coach. And I think that's something that's important here where if Duke's not as focused and, and Coach K's, I'm not going to say losing it, but maybe kind of doesn't have the same handle on this team. Leonard Hamilton recruits very well, but a lot of questions about him as an in-game coach. Chris Mack, I mean, he's right there with Tony Bennett, and I think Louisville's just a better team than Virginia. So that's the only way I could look here is, is Louisville in the ACC. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that Hamilton is a questionable uh, in-game coach, certainly. Uh, coach K is still a very good coach, and uh, but like I said, motivation in this time. find a, a team that you think, uh, could make a run here in the ACC it is open I mean this is a wide open tournament this year and um, I think that first of all you know that Florida State is a one seed um, they definitely have their question marks and uh, I don't like their price at all all right so we go to the big 12 here as we go out to the Sprint Center in Kansas City Missouri where Kansas will have a massive home court edge as they always do with that short trip from Lawrence to the land of Boulevard Brewing Company and barbecue, 
I got to say that the first thing that stands out here to me, and I know Kansas was 17 and one in conference play, Baylor 15 and three. Those are your top two seeds. Pretty big drop off to everybody else. But Baylor getting just blatantly disrespected, being <laughs> plus 200 here with Kansas a minus money favorite. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm looking at this one. I, you know, I hate to disappoint, but I, I like Kansas. I mean, you know, I think Kansas. Uh, at FanDuel is plus 110. So I would take Kansas to plus 110 here. Uh, Baylor's plus 300 at FanDuel. So kind of interesting numbers there. I think that you know, if you look at the top of the bracket, you know, Kansas has a pretty easy path here. I mean, Texas Tech is probably their trickiest matchup. Um, Texas, I mean, what are we supposed to make of Texas? Um, you know, they they win a couple of those games that that put them back in the tournament and then they go and lose by 20 some points or whatever it was to Oklahoma state at home, I believe the other day. So uh, Texas is very inconsistent. I don't trust them to be able to beat Kansas, Texas tech, uh, not very good on offense. You know, uh, they're still pretty good defensively. Offensively, they have issues, you know, Culver, they've missed him quite a bit, obviously. Uh, Baylor is not playing well uh, ending this season, obviously. And we can see that reflected here in the price. Um, I think the thing that I would say about Baylor is Baylor does have multiple games that they could trip up in. You know, um, I think TCU is not the easiest opponent for them. And then you've got Oklahoma or West Virginia. Uh, I don't really know who I'd want from the bottom of that bracket. Uh, From the top of the bracket, I think Kansas is in a good spot. So uh, while I don't like taking the favorite very much, I, I do like Kansas in this conference tournament. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I did this for the sake of argument in the article or if I'm I'm just maybe out thinking myself. I I mean, look, Kansas went 17 and 1 in this conference. I mean, there's a reason why they're a minus favorite. I do love Chris Beard. And I wish that they were on the bottom of the bracket, but I think Texas Tech does beat Texas, and I give them at least a puncher's chance against Kansas, but that that's a money line rollover situation plus 600 is nowhere near good enough. West Virginia is really good in this conference tournament. I mean, they've been very, very strong in the Big 12 tournament over the last several years. I mean, this is a team that they just make runs, and they're hard to play against. They force a lot of turnovers. They attack the offensive glass. I I don't mind them. I don't know if plus 800 is better than a money line rollover. I think there's a chance that it probably is, or at the very least, very well, not with Baylor and Kansas. A money line rollover is going to be better, but... You know, if some book comes out with 10, 11, 12 to 1 on West Virginia, something like that, I got to say, man, I, I, I'm intrigued. Again, Baylor is not playing well. I think Oklahoma is a pretty weak three seed that got there largely because of tiebreakers. West Virginia is going to be lively in this conference tournament, I th- again, I think. Yeah, if I had to take somebody from the bottom, that's who I'd take too. Uh, you know, points bet is plus 900. Um, I would kind of hope that you'd probably be able to get at least 10 to one. I mean, you know, they do have several pretty good teams there at the bottom of the bracket. Um, I don't like West Virginia as a team that I think can win uh, the NCAA tournament. I don't think they're good enough consistently, but in a smaller tournament like this, uh, you know, they've played really well in this, like you've said before. So um, I, I still think I, I, if I were taking anything, I'd take Kansas, especially if you can get plus 110. Um, I, I can understand Texas Tech, certainly. Uh, Chris Beard's wonderful. I mean, I'm never going to say anything negative about him. I, I wouldn't take Baylor at, at plus 200, plus 250, plus 300. I don't think that's good enough. Um, I think Baylor overachieved for most of the season, and they don't have a very easy draw here. So 
I like Kansas. I think Kansas is, um, you know, the most complete team by quite a bit in this conference. So it's not a full neutral site. Like I just mentioned, Kansas is going to have the crowd edge, probably a point, point and a half, a home court, something like that. What is Baylor versus Kansas in a, in a hypothetical championship game here? What's that line? Uh, let's see. Baylor and Kansas, like you said, it's not really a full neutral. I think that Kansas is minus five and a half. So why not just take Baylor on the money line in the championship game if you like them, as opposed to plus 200 with all these landmines that they have before that? You know, right. that, that's right. the thing. That, again, we, we don't have a ton of prices that we like or anything like that, but we're at least putting you into the right mindset of how to handicap these conference tournaments to where Baylor's got two tough games before they potentially meet Kansas, where you get something that's not plus 200 exactly, but it's something in the realm of plus 200. So if you like Baylor, just wait and see if they get there. And then make that play on that. <laughs> right. That's the way that you right. want to look at it here in the big two. That's what we were talking about with the prices just not being very good either. You know, there's a, there are a few situations kind of like that. But how about we go to the Big East here? Some madness at Madison Square Garden. All 10 teams in the field. Creighton winds up the one seed based on tiebreakers. Villanova the two. Seton Hall the three. And yet Seton Hall, the favorite at plus 250 at Bet Online. Uh, Providence is surging. They're the four seed. Butler and Marquette are five and six. They're very good. Providence is plus 600. Butler and Marquette, 700 out there at Bet Online. And again, as always, shop around for the best prices. But I mean, can, can you saddle up to anybody here in this conference? <laughs> well, first of all, I love this conference tournament. I mean, this, this is going to be a lot of fun. If I were going to pick one tournament that I wanted to watch all the way through as a fan, I think this would be it. You know, um, Obviously, the venue is, is important, Madison Square Garden. Um, I've said this before. We've talked about this so many times. But, you know, who knows? There may be some people listening here that haven't listened and listened in past years. Madison Square Garden is the tremendous under arena. Um, no matter who plays there from college, it's good for good for the under. Um, the odds makers know that. Betters know that. The totals will get bet down. So it's good to know that to start with. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams in this conference that could win this conference tournament. This is really wide open. Um, I'm disappointed with the the lack of odds or, or the lack of decent odds that we have on this one. Uh, this is one where you would think that you'd be able to get a, you know, a team at a pretty good price. Um, Providence is always a dangerous team. I, I, Ed Cooley, I mean, he is really something else. Uh, how how does this team always end up, you know, playing their best basketball, mixing in that one three one zone? Uh, playing really well at the end of the year. They're a dangerous team. I think Creighton is a deserving number one seed. At the same time, Creighton is very reliant on the jump shot. We've talked about this many years in the past. I wouldn't want to take Creighton here um, at the price that we have. First of all, the the futures price would definitely be worse than a money line rollover on Creighton. But, you know, Creighton is very reliant on the three-point shot. Here you are playing at Madison Square Garden. I don't think that's very good for them. And they'd have to match up against, you know, let's be honest, Georgetown or St. John's isn't a very easy first game either. Nobody really has an easy first game in the Big East. And that's why it's it's kind of hard to know who you want to go with here because there's not an easy path in this one. I would have made Seton Hall the favorite here too. Um, you know, you got Mamu Kulashvili back and uh, Miles Powell is the best player in the conference. Um, the problem is, is they have to play Villanova probably and Villanova, a really well coached team, a team that's very dangerous. Obviously Marquette's been going the wrong way here of late. So I wouldn't really want them. 
Um, you know, if I had to take somebody in this one, I'd want to take Seton Hall, but I don't love their draw very much. So um, I don't know. I mean, maybe you try to decide who you like between Providence and Butler and hope that they can knock off um, Creighton there in that um, game on the top of the bracket. So I don't know. I, I, I have an honestly, I have kind of a default to go toward Providence. So I, I, I'm leaning toward taking Providence if I take anything here. Yeah, I can't argue with Providence. I mean, again, they're playing so well, and, and they're very, very good defensively. And, again, that can play up at a place like Madison Square Garden. And I even wrote in my preview, I'm like, look, don't be surprised if St. John's beats Creighton. I mean, St. John's right. takes great care of the basketball. They force a lot of turnovers on defense. If Creighton runs cold and starts to lose some possessions in that game, I'm not the least bit surprised if St. John's pulls that upset no. Again, I mean, they were 5-13 and 13 team in conference play. They didn't look particularly good in a lot of their games. But at the same time, again, this is the type of environment for Creighton to run cold. And, hell, let's be honest, St. John just beat Creighton by 20 points on March 1st. So it's, it, it's not on the rubber possibility. Home court. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, St. John's is used to playing at, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, part of their games are played there. So – Definitely, that's a dangerous spot there for Creighton. I completely agree. And if you get St. John's knocking off Creighton, I mean, that opens up the top of the bracket significantly to the point where a team like Providence does get, you know, a lot more value. Look, I think Seton Hall has the chance to wipe the slate clean here. They've got the best player in the conference in Miles Powell. They aren't as reliant on jump shots as a team like Creighton or like Villanova, somebody like that. They still shoot a fair amount of threes, but they also shoot a lot of attempts at the rim. I do like that for them. St. John shoots a lot of attempts at the rim too, by the way. Um, so I, I think St. John's uh, plus the points against Creighton is probably my favorite thing in this conference tournament if they beat Georgetown. But if from a future standpoint, there's just not a lot of equity because all these teams are so close together. A lot of these games are going to be closely lined. I think Seton Hall wins it if I had to pick anybody, but I don't love it. I don't have a high confidence level at all. Agree. If I had to pick somebody, I'd take Seton Hall. Um, if I had to take one that I think may be worth a bit of a longer shot, I would probably take Providence. And I agree with you that I would probably look to try to go against Creighton, um, either with St. John's or a team like Providence or Butler. All right, so let's go to an under-the-radar conference a little bit here, since we are going in alphabetical order, trying to hit as many as we can here. The Big Sky Conference, this one out in Boise, Idaho, at CenturyLink Arena. Uh, You've got Eastern Washington, the number one seed here in this one. Northern Colorado is the two seed, but I believe over at points bet, Northern Colorado is the favorite at plus 160. Eastern Washington plus 300. Montana's the three seed. They're plus 450. And to be totally honest with you, there's quite a drop off after the top three teams here in this league. There's a massive drop off here. Um, If anybody outside the top three wins this one, I'd be pretty surprised. I, I think that. Um, I want to start on the ones that I have some notes on here. I want to say, you know, about the arena, the unders nine and four here at CenturyLink. It's a very small sample size. I I wouldn't make too much of this. Um, I I don't know anything that that would stand out as it being a terrible arena for shooters. It is a much bigger arena than they're used to playing in. So um, probably would lean to the under. I think this is just about as top heavy a conference as you can get. You know, it's hard to imagine anybody outside one to three winning. Uh, when you when you look at the odds on points bet right now, uh, Montana plus 450 is the only one I would consider betting. Um, 
I think Northern Colorado is a good team and Radaball is a really good player there for Northern Colorado. Um, the problem is Montana to me has, has proven that they can win this thing so many times. This, this is a team that's uh, really made a run through this tournament so many times at this point, I trust Montana quite a bit as a team. And the first game that Montana would play Northern Arizona or Idaho state, I think is an easier game than, than Southern Utah would be for Northern Colorado. So um, I, I like Montana's draw here the best. If you look at the top, Eastern Washington being plus 300 is interesting. I think part of the reason Eastern Washington is that is because Weber State is probably their first game. Weber is a team that did not play nearly as well as people thought they would. They had a lot of injury problems this year. Portland State also a tricky matchup with the, the full court press. So Eastern Washington, a tougher draw. I think you have to try to take somebody from the bottom. I like Montana plus 450. Yeah, when you look at Northern Colorado, Southern Utah knocked them out last year in the seven versus two matchup, and they blew them out, actually, too. So Northern Colorado trying to make amends for that. Probably the best offensive team in this conference, but, you know, again, a a venue that's a little bit better, it seems, for defense, and and Montana, very, very good defensive team. Southern Utah is, too. So I think Northern Colorado is very, very iffy with that Southern Utah matchup likely coming in the quarterfinals. As you said, Montana gets a pretty good draw with Northern Arizona. They avoid a rivalry game against Weber State, which I think is important because early in a conference tournament, you, know, you got to keep that adrenaline and that emotion going for three games in three days. If you play a rival, that can be detrimental, like possibly Dayton with VCU in the A-10. So I think Montana is probably the one you have to look at there. And quite frankly, I don't know if we get an offshore price better than 450 sucks that most people don't have access to that but with montana's reputation i bet that price does come out lower yeah i think so too i'd be really surprised if we get plus 450 and to be honest i wish i could bet it right now all right so let's go to the big 10 conference here and and i'm gonna be honest with you I, i kind of as hard as this is to do because it's a major conference and people want i kind of want to cut some corners a little bit with this one and we'll see if we're able to over the course of the discussion because I think anybody in the top 10 seeds can win this thing. Michigan State's your favorite, plus 275. Maryland, plus 400. Michigan, plus 600 as a nine seed, which is a joke. I don't think they win this thing. I know they've had some runs, but Juwan Howard's not John Beeline. Wisconsin's the number one seed, and they're plus 700. Iowa, Ohio State, Rutgers, all plus 800. Illinois and Penn State, 10 to 1. Not a lot of great prices, but I mean, all these teams are interchangeable. Yeah, I I spent a good amount of time looking at this bracket trying to figure out who I liked here. I'm going to start by saying this is a Banker's Life Fieldhouse, 36 overs and 31 unders, so not a bad shooting backdrop at all. Um, I think Illinois is a weak four seed, but who do I want going against them in their section? I mean, you know, if you look at Illinois, I kind of think, okay, they got Minnesota Northwestern and then Iowa. Um, I don't really trust any of those teams. I think Iowa's a really good offensive team. Their defense is just a problem. You know, they're, they're not good enough on defense. Uh, Minnesota, I mean, they've been so close and choked so many times. Uh, Minnesota could win a couple games in this conference tournament. It wouldn't surprise me. But it also wouldn't surprise me if they have a 15-point lead with two minutes left and lose the game. So, I mean, you know, Minnesota um, maybe as a money line rollover shot uh, would make some sense. I think I like Wisconsin at their price the best of anything. You know, I do think that there are a little bit too many people 
um, high on Michigan at this point. Uh, like you said, you know, Beeline is not here. Uh, Howard hasn't been in this situation before. I'm not saying Howard's a bad coach, but he can do it like Beeline has. Wisconsin's playing good basketball right now. And like I said, I think the four seed, Illinois, is weak up there. So um, of all the teams here with their current prices, I think I like Wisconsin the best. And it's interesting to say, you know, the number one seed, I think, has the most value uh, from a future standpoint. But, you know, that's the way I'd go. If you look at the bottom of the bracket, I mean, what do you want to do with that? I mean, it is a mess down there. You got Michigan State obviously playing well. And, uh, you know, a lot of people want to bet Michigan State. Certainly, I can't blame them. I don't think it's any great price. Ohio State and Purdue, first round matchup, um, technically second round, but their first game. Uh, who knows who's going to get out of that one? I mean, Purdue hasn't been very good away from home, but I don't I don't trust Ohio State very much either. And then Penn State had that great run for a while in the regular season. And then they had a couple bad games. Indiana, I don't think Indiana's in a very good shape now. I mean, you know, Archie Miller having some issues, and I don't trust them very much. As I've said before, um, I'm going to keep saying I don't trust Maryland. I know Maryland's played better than I thought they would, and they deserve props for that, but I wouldn't want to bet Maryland to win this one. So, I mean, I, I almost feel like I'm going through process of elimination here. <laughs> well, and, and what, what's going to happen here? We're going to have this discussion next Monday. I'm telling everybody that right now. Is the Big Ten really good and everybody in the conference is just really good? Or are none of these teams really good? And we're probably going to find Big that Ten's out good. in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I, it broke up for a minute. I, um, the, the Big Ten is good. I think there's a lot of good teams here. But is anybody great in the Big Ten? I mean, who, who do you think would win it from the Big Ten as far as the NCAA tournament? I, I, I don't think it's going to happen this year either. Michigan State? Maybe? I like it's the only it's probably it's probably the only team I would take. Like Maryland right. is just so yeah. inconsistent away from home as we know, and they're not going to play any home games the rest of the way. As far as this conference tournament goes, Iowa is the team I would look at just because if they get hot, they can ride that wave. But let's also keep in mind here that look, Michigan as an 8 seed in 2017, everyone remembers that, as a 5 seed in 2018, but from, you know, 20 from 2002 to 2016, it was a top three seed that won this thing. It is very hard in this conference to win four games in four days. So I think you almost have to look at a top four seed here. And I think, like you said, I mean, as much as I like Iowa, Wisconsin's got the best draw of the top four seeds. So you almost have to default to the Badgers and, and hope that Greg Gard gets them there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the more I think about this when I like Wisconsin some, I think the price is pretty fair, at least compared to the other futures prices we're talking about. You know, um, I think the futures price out there is pretty decent. So um, I could put a little bit of change on Wisconsin and, and like it fairly well. All right, so it's tough for us to say too much about the Big West here, where UC Irvine is the favorite, minus 115, which quite frankly, I don't think is a bad price. I think this is kind of a Kansas-type scenario where – the best teams at a reasonable price, and I'm probably just going to end up taking them if I was to take anything. But before we get away from the Big West, we've got to talk about the Honda Center. Yeah, that's the most important thing about this one is the Honda Center is a hockey hockey venue first, and this is a really tough shooting backdrop. Everybody knows this at this point, so you're going to want to bet this early if you want to take unders. Uh, the thing that makes it more important in a, in a tournament like this is 
these schools are not even close to used to playing into in this kind of arena. You know, if you're if you're from Kentucky, uh, you know, you're more likely used to playing in a massive arena than if you're UC Irvine or UCSB. So, you know, keep that in mind as you go forward um, in the Big West Conference Tournament. I think underdogs have more value as well because, you know, most people only think of it from um, the total standpoint. But, you know, you get a, a big underdog uh, catching a bunch of points in a game that you think is going to be lower scoring. There's more than one way to do this. So, um, you know, I think the Big West Conference Tournament is certainly one where there will be money-making opportunities. You see Irvine, though, when it's all said and done? Um, I think you see Irvine. I'm trying to, you know, as I, this one, this one reseeds, correct? Yeah, this one reseeds. And and speaking of which, yeah, you see Santa Barbara plus 350. These are coming from points bet, the only place that has this. Hawaii plus 800, Northridge, Davis, and Riverside all 10 to 1. Fullerton and Long Beach State don't really have much of a chance. And, and uh, to be honest, I kind of like the reseed because, you know, you want your best team to get there. Um, you and I have kind of said that some of these conferences don't give their their best teams a, a good enough chance. And, and then you get a, a weak team getting to the big dance. Uh, UC Irvine's the best team here. Um, I think UCSB is the only other team that I would even really consider, but I don't think plus 350 is a very good price. So, yeah, I think UC Irvine minus 115 is about right. All right. So, and there, by the way, there have been a lot of really close games in this conference tournament, especially with the low scores. We've had a lot of, you know, uh, one possession wins, stuff like that over the last few years. So, like Kyle said, underdogs, probably the way you want to look ATS, but I would assume that the chalk holds up when all is said and done there with the Ant Eaters. But let's head out to Conference USA where this tournament's a cluster F, man. I mean, the Ford Center at the Star, it's a football practice facility. And they play games at the same time on course A, or court, not course A, court A and court B. So for the first day of games on Wednesday, you've got tip times at 6 and 6.30, then 8.30 and 9. Same thing on Thursday. The semifinals are in the afternoon on Friday. So if you play 8.30 or 9 o'clock tips on Thursday, you come back and play at 1 or 3.30 on Friday. So this thing's just kind of a mess. North Texas, the favorite. Western Kentucky, second seed, Louisiana Tech, the third seed, and then again, a big drop-off to everybody else after that. Yeah, um, I was having trouble seeing the odds on this one. Who who has odds up here? I don't think anybody does. I was I was gonna say I, I don't I don't see any odds. Uh we'll we'll not go on a rant about that, but it'd be nice to have odds. So um, you know, Conference USA, uh, I think we should point out, you know, you, you said you said Corsa. I mean, it might as well be Corsa, right? That's I mean, the, the way that they're, I mean, to be honest, I'd kind of, I think I might tune in for, for a game on Corsa. Um, you know, Conference USA, to be honest with you, I, I don't understand this setup. You know, I mean, um, I know they want it to be unique. Um, we talked about this a couple of years ago when they first did it. And I remember you um, guessing that this would be good for the under. The under is 14 and eight here. So the under has done well. It's an odd setup. It's not something anybody would used to be playing in. So I think the under will continue to do well here. Again, I would like underdogs here as well. Um, if I were taking a team that I think could make a run that is um, not seeded highly, I would take UTSA. Um, they're close to home, um, at least pretty close to home. And then you've got uh, the bottom of the bracket down there, there's no dominant team. There's no dominant team in Conference USA in general. Javon Jackson, 
Um, you can make an argument he's the best player in Conference USA. UTSA was supposed to be one of the top three teams in this league. And like I said, I kind of like taking these teams who underachieved in the regular season uh, and they could make a run. I think UTSA is one of those teams. They don't have a great draw because they play decent UAB team in, in game one and then Western Kentucky. But, you know, I do think that they'd probably be worth it, you know, and UTSA money line rollover, I will probably do personally as at least a small bet. You know, I like North Texas a lot as a team. Um, kind of hate that they're the number one seed because I'd rather them be under the radar. McCaslin's a really good coach. Um, I think they have a pretty good draw up there with Charlotte as the four seed. So I like North Texas from the top of the bracket, and I like UTSA as an underdog. Well, and it's tough with North Texas. I mean, we kind of questioned this with Marshall two years ago when they first started this thing, and Marshall wound up winning this conference tournament. We were kind of worried about how jump shot oriented they are. They hung some big numbers uh, early on. So, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where for some teams it works, for some teams it doesn't. You kind of wonder about North Texas and and the amount of threes that they take. Um, But, I don't know, to me, Western Kentucky's gone to the final twice. They've lost it twice. They're a very good free throw shooting team. They take care of the ball. They first force turnovers. I like them a little bit, but again, without prices, it's, it's very difficult to dive too deep in to this conference tournament. We'll skip the Ivy League just in the interest of saving time, especially because you don't like the Ivy League. So let's go to the MAAC here. We'll go to the MAAC here, and we don't have odds for this one either because this conference tournament has moved. It's no longer in Albany. It's in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So the New Jersey books can't post it, and the offshores are slow to post everything. So we don't have any odds for this one, but we can talk about it a little bit. In the sense that 11 teams are here, nobody's good on defense, they're all okay on offense. But Siena, clearly the best team here in this league, and they are the number one seed. Yeah, this one goes from one tough shooting gym in Albany to another one at Boardwalk Hall. Um, I would lean to the under in these games. I think that um, you know you have a lot of teams who are usually not terribly good at defense, but you know they're going to be helped by the venue. So um, the other thing that you have to say when you talk about the MAC is you know, how is this thing going to fall apart to where everybody loses and it just, you know, Iona finds their way into it. It's, it's the way it goes every single year. Uh, to be honest with you, you know, I don't have anything against Iona or Tim Cluis or anybody. It's just, it'd be nice if somebody else would win the tournament at some point. You know, could somebody else please win this thing? Sienna has the two best players in the conference, Pickett and Camper. I mean, Sienna really has a good opportunity here. You know, they've been at home in the past, Sienna, so they don't have the home court advantage like they have in the past. I would say Ryder would be the underdog I'd be interested in here, team that was uh, supposed to be the best team in the league or or second best team in the league that underachieved a bit. I think somebody might beat Iona this time, although, you know, the way that they just back their way into it or, or, you know, uh, create a way to get into it, I I don't want to say back their way into it because I Iona's definitely deserves credit for how well they've done in this conference tournament. But it just seems like, you know, the MAAC just defaults to Iona. I think they probably won't be the one who gets there this year, but, you know, I'm not not terribly confident. Yeah, I'm I'm not super sure here. I mean, I think Siena probably wins this thing. I mean, they should. As you said, they've got the two best players. And they also have a first-year head coach, and they kind of took off throughout the course of the season. They got better as the year went along. So I do kind of like them a little bit. I guess if I wanted some sort of long shot, maybe for argument's sake, Niagara is a team that you know can kind of fill it up from three a little bit. 
and obviously in a tough shooting venue, that's something that you're kind of concerned yourself with some. But again, I mean, in a conference tournament like this, where a lot of these teams are deeply, deeply flawed, well, if Niagara shoots the lights out for a couple of games, why the hell not, right? Yeah, I mean, I've seen stranger things happen than that, and you know, they they have a pretty favorable first game at least. Um, I think this one's wide open. You know, I, I would lean toward underdogs and unders here. All right, so let's talk about a conference tournament that actually starts today, and I should have did this one first with the fact that it starts today, but we're kind of all over the map trying to find lines and everything else here, but the MAC begins this evening. Not the MAAC, but the MAC. The bottom eight teams all in action at campus sites tonight. Your number one seed is Akron. Your number two seed, Bowling Green. Number three seed, Ball State, coming out of the weaker west. In fact, I wrote about this over in my MAC tournament preview at bangthebook.com that the team from the West does not win very often. Western Michigan did it a few years ago. They were the last team to do it before that. I think it was 2004. So this is very dominated by the East Division. It looks like it probably will be again. Yeah, um, I kind of like a couple things in this one. I, I like Kent State. I think Kent State has a favorable matchup there against Eastern Michigan and then Ball State. Ball State's a week three seed. Um, Bowling Green, um, they would have some fan contingent, but Kent State has a really nice home court advantage here. So so does Akron. Um, if you look at Quicken Loans Arena, the unders 35 and 25 in the last 60 uh, MAC conference tournament games here. So this is a big venue, a lot of open seats. Um, I think Kent and Akron get the biggest home court advantage. Um, I mean, you probably know more about that. I, I would say Kent and Akron get a home court advantage and then maybe Bowling Green a bit of one. Yeah, I would I would say that sounds about right. Akron plus 150 over at five dimes. I, Bet Online doesn't even have this up and the effing thing starts tonight. Ball State plus 525, Buffalo 625, Bowling Green 645, Kent State 750, Northern Illinois 900, Toledo 10 to 1. So obviously, based on the odds, I mean, yeah, Akron's the best team here, but otherwise, feels like it's pretty wide open. Yeah, and I, I, I don't like Akron's price at that. You know, I don't think Akron is so much better than everybody else that they should be plus 150. I, I think that, you know, Mac is a weak, uh, a weak league. Now, Akron gets the home court advantage, and that's, they certainly deserve that. Uh, Buffalo should be better than they've been. I think Buffalo would be a tricky matchup if they have to play, if Akron has to play them. Um, you know, Ohio's not a really easy matchup for them either, and Ohio would have plenty of contingent there. I like Kent State to make a run at the bottom of the bracket. I think a money line rollover with Kent State makes quite a bit of sense. And honestly, if you think that Akron could be tripped up, and I certainly think that, you know, um, they're a bit overvalued, if anything, you could take the field here. On, on five dimes at minus 180 against Akron. Yeah, I like that one too. And I also like Kent State. I like the money line rollover on Kent State. They make runs in this tournament. Rob Senderov's a really good head coach. I don't think people realize how good he is. And, and he doesn't always have a ton of talent either, but he just finds a way to maximize it in this quick turnaround format. I also like Kent State a little bit there with the money line rollover. Uh, running out of time here for this segment, but real quickly, the Pac 12. Out at T-Mobile Arena. Uh, we do have odds for this one somewhere. I'll track them down here in a minute. Here we go. Oregon plus 150. Arizona 275. Colorado 400. UCLA 700. We got a bunch of teams 1,200 or lower here. Again, speaks to the fact that we just don't have a dominant team in the Pac-12. Yeah, I like Oregon. I mean, uh, you know, again, that's they're the, they're the favorite for a reason. I think Oregon has the best coach in the conference. 
I really like that they have the best point guard in the conference in Pritchard. Um, you know, Oregon is going to be a tough team to knock out of this. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, and I'm sure you probably remember when we were talking about the Pac-12, where you kind of said, you know, I think I might have to spend a little bit of money on Washington. Remember that one? I do. I remember that. <laughs> and now Washington went and won their last couple games in the regular season, which probably would have been better if they didn't do that. But um, I think Washington is still a tricky team. So, you know, the fact that Oregon would likely have to play um, Arizona or Washington, uh, you know, I think that, that that's difficult for them. So it's hard to argue to take a team. Uh, what are they? Plus 160, plus 200, something like that. You know, I, I don't think that's a great price. I see plus 250 on Oregon at FanDuel. I think that's probably pretty decent. Um, Washington money line rollover would make the most sense to me. Um, you, you look at the bottom of the bracket, and I, I don't even know who to like down there. I mean, Colorado really fell apart at the end of the year. Arizona State came on pretty well, but you know they're not very good offensively. UCLA certainly playing good. Uh, Nick Cronin has done a good job with that team. Uh, probably UCLA would would be the team that I would want if I take somebody from the bottom, but I don't think there's great value there. So. Honestly, I'll keep it kind of short and say I think Oregon will probably win this one. This one's at T-Mobile, so this is a neutral court that has not played uh, uh, to be bad for shooting in any way. So uh, just totally neutral here. Yeah, if Colorado didn't play that fourth game, didn't have to play Washington State, maybe I would like them a little bit more. UCLA, it's tough because they're trying to learn this brand new physical brand of basketball, and you wonder how they do with three games in three days. I think it's Oregon. Dana Altman's so good in this conference tournament here, they just have expectations last year. They were what a six seed and both of us liked them and they made that big run and Altman just gets it here. You know, I I don't think Sean Miller is that great of a head coach. Cronin's very good. Tad Boyle's okay. Um, You know, I I just think that Altman just has this big coaching advantage. I'd be surprised if anybody other than Oregon actually does win that one sec real quickly here down at Bridgestone arena in Nashville, Kentucky, the number one, Auburn, people have been looking to, for reasons to fade them, calling them a very lucky team. They're the two seed. Uh, obviously, Nashville, de- tourist destination, a lot of fan support for this one. Any any quick thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, um, Bridgestone's a good under arena. Uh, as I said earlier, though, I think that it's uh, mitigated a bit by the fact that these teams are used to playing in big arenas. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't just want to blindly take all the unders here. Uh, I think, you know, Kentucky is a flawed team. Nobody in the SEC is really that good of a team. And I, I mean, I could go on a rant. I'm not going to because, you know, we, we've talked for a long time. And honestly, I just kind of looked down at what time it was. And I didn't realize how long we've been talking. I really enjoyed doing these shows. I'm like, wow. Um, Kentucky is a flawed team. I can't believe Florida has been as bad as they've been this year. You know, choking that game away. Kentucky was really something. Um I don't want Auburn. I mean, I, I kind of think that everybody's right that, you know, I don't want to take Auburn because they've been very fortunate to to be where they are. LSU, I guess, if I had to take somebody. I mean, South Carolina is not really very healthy, or you'd think maybe they could make a little bit of a run. Arkansas, not very healthy either. Um, I, I'm not interested. Uh, in my notes that I jotted down here before we did this, I put the SEC is the one that I think is my least favorite to bet of, of anything that we talk about. Sounds good to me. One more item of business here. The Southland with top seed Stephen F. Austin. The SWAC with top seed Prairie View A&M. The WAC with New Mexico State. Do any of those number one seeds fail to win their conference tournaments? 
Um, Southland, I'd be really surprised. Um, I think if I was picking an underdog in the Southland, I'd probably take Nickel State, um, take care of the ball well. Um, that one's also played at Leonard, Leonard Merriner, which is 25-23 to the over. Um, so, I mean, uh, it's it's hard to imagine somebody else winning the SWAC, to be honest with you. I, I would be pretty surprised if Prairie View doesn't win that. Texas Southern, you know, always has a chance. So that would be the only other team there. And what was the final one? The whack. The whack. The poor whack. I'm, I'm sorry, whack. Um, yeah, I mean, New Mexico State. I mean, I, if you can come up with an argument for somebody else, then you're better than me. <laughs> Chicago State. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it, it will be. I mean, shit, nobody else in the conference won 10 conference games. New Ugh. Mexico State ran the table. Well, Cal Baptist, but they're not in the tournament because they're one of those transitioning teams. So I that's it. It's it's New Mexico State, to say the least. Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com and bettersportspicks.com. It wasn't easy, but we got through them all. Yeah, no, I was just thinking. I, I think we did decent given our our setup with the lack of odds and stuff. So hopefully, except hopefully we got some. Yeah. Oh man, I I feel really bad that we didn't get to the Ivy. That's gonna special. It's gonna special bother me. Two all day. hour podcast Thursday to talk about the Ivy League tournament. <laughs> uh, that may or may not be canceled later, but yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I've got a lot going on right now. Uh, you know, we all have a lot going on in the industry. Um, this is a fun time of the year. Uh, bettersportsfix.com. You've got free information going up. I'm, I've been putting my leans up there. My leans have done clearly better than my plays lately, which pisses me off, obviously. Um, the sharp money report I put up there every so often. I'm going to be putting some systems up. Also going to do some contests here for cash prizes as we go throughout conference tournaments. So go over to bettersportsfix.com sign up for the free members area and join the newsletter there i've got the basketball all fanatic pass for 549 bucks over at huntersportspicks.com as well always great to chat with you kyle hunter professional handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com free content at bettersportspicks.com at kyle hunter picks on twitter appreciate it man as always thanks for making this work fun to chat with you for a long time here and uh, we'll talk to you again next week Hey, it was fun, man. Thanks. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter, once again, professional handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com, bettersportspicks.com, and at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Coming up on our Tuesday edition of Bang the Book Radio, and keep in mind, just the betters box Thursday, no show Friday. We'll chat tomorrow with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll work in some conference tournament stuff. We'll talk NHL and golf. Also going to chat with John Ryan about the Big East and the Big Ten. We'll take a deeper look at those conferences on maybe another guest. We're going to try to work in as many of them as we possibly can here on this shortened week. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.